Welcome to the Lead More Podcast. I'm your host, John T. Meyer. The Lead More Podcast is the show where we sit down and learn from leaders of today to help inspire and create more leaders for tomorrow. Because I believe the world needs more leaders and I want you to be the next one. Are you ready? Here in episode 28, I sat down with Dr. Ben Meyerink. Ben is a South Dakota farm kid. He grew up on a farm, he went to SDSU for undergrad, USD for medical school, and then did his residency at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Ben felt compelled to come back home to South Dakota, and this summer started his first job as a doctor here at Avera Hospital in Sioux Falls. Ben and I sat down and talked about what is it like to start your career as a doctor in a pandemic? What does the day-to-day truly look like? We hear and read all these stories, but what's, what's he seeing and feeling every day when he goes to work at the clinic? We talked about what can we as individuals do to help out? It feels so helpless at times, but how can we help doctors and nurses and frontline workers in our day-to-day life? And we also kind of looked at what does healthcare look like in the future? How has 2020 changed the way healthcare will look in the next five to 10 years? It was a really great conversation. Ben is very clearly passionate about his work, about his patients, and about his community. And I think you're really gonna enjoy learning more from Dr. Ben. Let's take a listen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Lead More podcast. Uh, I'm really excited for today's conversation with Dr. Ben Meyerink. How are you doing today, Ben? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, you bet. You bet. So let's dive right into it. You are a new family doc at Avera here in Sioux Falls. When did you start? Mm -hmm. So I started towards the end of August. Uh, I finished my residency over at Mayo Clinic in Rochester at the end of July or end of June. So I had a little time off, um, but was thrown right into the thick of things, of course, (laughs) Uh, being we're in a pandemic. Yeah, so you both finished med school in a pandemic and then started your medical career in a pandemic. Uh, pretty unprecedented. I know that word is overused these days, mm-hmm. but tell me what that was like. How did, did they try to prepare you at all for what to expect or you just got dropped in the fray? Um, you know, I feel like everyone was in this together, whether you were an experienced physician, a brand new physician, a nurse, an administrator, um, because this is something we haven't seen in our lifetimes before. So I, I feel there isn't much you actually can do pr- to prepare. I think we're all learning together. Um, I, the most interesting conversation that sticks out in my mind is one of my last few weeks in Rochester, I was working with an emergency med physician who's very experienced. And he actually sort of had a similar story. He finished residency during the HIV epidemic at the time when actually Dr. Fauci really, uh, that was kind of his first big um, time that he really was a, a true leader in healthcare was during that era. And the, the physician actually told me, he said, hey, Ben, when I was starting practice at the time, we, well, soon there'll be an HIV vaccine. And hmm. if you look at where we are now, 30, 40 years later, the idea of an HIV vaccine is unfathomable. Um, but he also said it was a time he cherished and he said, we learned a lot about our culture and our society and our healthcare system and public health. And, uh, he was very optimistic about it so that, you know, I I know this is going to be a time, I think we actually will look back on and see how much we learned and grew. Um, but right now is the the difficult part of, of getting through it. 
Yeah, that's fascinating, both from a kind of a comparison standpoint and just to re- yeah. realize uh, how long Fauci's been at this whole thing, right? I mean, he was, if that, yes. he broke out then yes. and is still working on it today. It's crazy. Um, let's chart your path up up to this point today. You said you're a South Dakota boy. You grew up on a farm uh, near Platt. You went to um, SDSU, right? You're a jackrabbit. Mm-hmm. Correct, correct. Absolutely go Jacks. Uh, I grew up on a farm between Platt and Geddes. Um, nobody in my family is in medicine, um, which is, is unique in some ways. And in some ways it's not. There are a lot of physicians, nurses, things like that who have no family members in medicine. Um, but I, yeah, I grew up in a small uh, area. My family's very much a mainstay in the agriculture business, especially in that part of the state. Um, so it was always interesting to leave and I, I do, there's parts of it I miss and there's a lot I'm grateful for just the leadership skills that taught me and responsibility growing up on a farm. Um, but my hometown family physician was really an idol to me since I was young. Um, and that really was my inspiration for, for pursuing the path I'm on. And yes, you mentioned that before we hit record. Mm -hmm. So was there pressure to, uh, be on the family farm or you knew early on, like, I want to pursue this path in medicine to help people. Yeah, my parents were great mentors to me and my younger siblings. I'm the oldest. Um, they were always very supportive of whatever we wanted to do. Um, farming is a very tough industry, as most people in South Dakota know. It's very unpredictable. Um, you have very good years and you have very, very bad years. Uh, and the demands and stress with it, too, are not uh, to be taken lightly. So I think I think they were very supportive of us pursuing whatever we wanted. Um, and so thankfully, I never felt any pressure to uh, have to return and, and follow the status quo from that regard. Okay, cool. Well, so I love those stories when you have some, a leader or yeah. a mentor in your life, like your, your, your family doc who shaped yeah. you at that such a young age that started kind of guiding you that direction, whether you realized it or not. Yeah, he's probably close to 65 now, Dr. Bentz. He's been the South Dakota Family Physician of the Year. I mean, he's well, well known. That was his first job out of med school and he's been there ever since, Wow, um, which is sort of a rarity. But I, I think the thing that really inspired me about him was not only in the clinic was he just compassionate and smart and and caring, um, but man, in, in the community, outside of the clinic walls is really where I, I saw him have the most impact, whether it was talking about something at city council or, I mean, you'd honestly just see him riding his bike to work every day. And that's so <laughs> rare to see in a rural community, but just little things like that, you know, he just lived out uh, health and, and wellness and things like that in, in many great uh, ways on a daily basis that inspired everybody, but, but really stuck with me. Yeah. I don't know if this is true or not. You'd be better to answer this question, but there's, <laughs> it could just be nostalgia or maybe it is true, but it does feel like there's this sort of golden generation of these family doctors and family physicians totally. that has changed. You know, I, my Dr. Warren, yeah. he was on our, he was our neighbor and then and Dr. Yeah, Brookings, I know him. you probably yeah. know him. Yeah. He delivered my yeah. younger brother. Um, yeah, he retired. It just seems like, will that will we have that again or has yeah. healthcare changed? I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's very much changed. I think one of the things we'll probably talk about is physician burnout uh, has become a huge thing uh, that we've really focused on a lot. It seems like the last five, 10 years, especially. And we should have been focusing on it long before. Um, but one of the many reasons for that was just the demand of the, the schedule, you know, so these family docs who d- delivered babies and saw people in the hospital, saw people in clinic were on call every weekend. I mean, they rarely saw their families. <laughs> yeah. um, they were take, too busy taking care of everyone else. 
And so I do think some of that is probably gone. There's less people that can do wear all those hats anymore. You know, we have hospitalists and laborers and things like that. Yeah. yeah and just uh, more so delegating uh, roles to, to take care of ourselves better. And I think it is better for patients in a lot of ways too. Uh, but there still are going to be those who yeah are in the rural areas, especially in South Dakota that can and can do it all and really will be the heroes uh, of those towns. Yeah. That's incredible. So then you, uh, med school at USD, you had a little bit of kind yeah. time, uh, and, yeah. then, <laughs> and then residency in, in Rochester, a great place at Mayo Clinic. So now you're back in yeah. the homeland of South Dakota. Was that always the plan to come back or, or how does that work with matching um, different hospitals? Yeah. Yeah. So residency, you know, you match, uh, you can rank where you want to go and, and you interview and then they rank their applicants. And so I was fortunate enough to, to match at Mayo Clinic, um, you know, when I went there, I wasn't sure what to expect. Uh, I fell in love with it very quickly. I, I would, I have no uh, hesitancy saying it was the greatest place I've ever been a part of. Um, it's just a tremendous organization, the history, the level of care, the people. Um, so I, I did have a, an offer with them after I finished residency. And it was extremely difficult. I mean, you don't get that and turn it down very often. Um, but South Dakota's home, and, and I don't know, there's just something in me that I couldn't say no to coming back. I also have a long history with Avera. I mean, we grew up with an Avera clinic. I did med school with them for the most part. Um, I knew a lot of the people there. A lot of those people were my mentors in med school that shaped me. Uh, and, and I still have a deep passion for South Dakota and its people and the state. Um, so that ultimately went out. Uh, and, and it's interesting. There's many other uh, physicians who came back with me and have other ones who have been there for a while. And I think they all have similar stories. You know, there's temptations to go somewhere else, more exciting, bigger city, better weather, something like that. But a lot of us come back and hardly any regret it. That's good. Well, good on you for, for coming home. We need folks like that. Yeah. So yeah. Um, talk about Obviously, in in medicine, you, you don't just like start. It's I mean, you have a first day a first day on the mm-hmm. job, but it's not like a lot of other <laughs> careers. You've already been around it. You've been in it, yeah. residency, lots of hours. So you've seen what a hospital looks like and how a doctor works pre-pandemic. But now, when you're yeah. official and on the job, you've only known it in a pandemic. So tell me, walk us through today in in what is it, December of 2020? What's a day look mm-hmm. like when you're on the floor? Yeah. So I'm mainly in the clinic. I am in the hospital a little bit. Um, you know, initially when the pandemic hit, our schedules really emptied out, not just in Rochester or Sioux Falls. I mean, it was really everywhere. It was canceling surgeries, things like that. So so things were very strange right away. Now I feel like we're back to normal. You know, I'm doing a lot of preventative stuff uh, and, and more acute and emergent stuff too within clinic. Um, of course, everyone is masked, but there's a lot more time to all of this, not only does every patient get screened for COVID, whether that's what they're coming for or not, um, but you're constantly paying attention to your nurses and everyone else making sure they have the right PPE, um, whether the patient is is ill acutely or not. So just the time and demands uh, like that have become so much more. Um, and even, even uh, the transition to telemedicine, and I, I think if we hop into the future of medicine, that'd be an area I'd, uh, I'll share on it a bit more, but we're trying to do more visits that way too. And Avera thankfully had a robust telemedicine program yeah. before the pandemic. And I, I don't know if everyone in South Dakota realizes how good that telemedicine program is, but it really is one of the best in the country. Um, hmm. But that has, has certainly helped too, but that's been a, a dramatic change as well. Just the number of virtual visits uh, that have increased throughout the day. 
Um, so a lot of, a lot of our days, I think do look the same. I, I really, I really think a lot of things haven't changed, but there's also a lot that has, you know, there's so many meetings now, um, uh, just daily updates, especially with the vaccine rolling out now. Um, just things we, I, I was sitting in one the other day and I was like, man, what would I be doing if the pandemic wasn't going on right now? Would we even be having this meeting at all? Um, and, and certainly it's been tough too, to come back to here. Cause there's a lot of new faces I haven't met in person yet. And it, it will be some time until I meet them. Yeah. Um, so just the dynamics as well amongst the, the team have, have really changed, but I, I still think the quality of care and level of care is as good as ever. That's great. So it sounds like that just the, the extra level of like checklist and think details you have to pay yes. attention and people you have to watch. I mean, what's the talk about the toll of that? Like as it stacks up and you do this day after day, not that people, not that yeah. doctors weren't thorough or procedural yeah. based before. It's just that there's so much yeah. on top of it now. I mean, you must yeah. just be exhausted. It's, yeah. It's, it, it's <laughs> habit at this point though, too. Um, sure. You know, this is what we've known now for six months. Um, but yes, just the time consuming nature of having to do certain things or now every patient I send for surgery has to get a screen. Like uh, it, it's not only demand on us, but it's demand on, on the patients as well. And then also I think the stress of, for a lot of us is taking it home. I don't have kids, but for those who do, especially, you know, I, I mean, I used mail made, we wore suits every day. And so as soon as the pandemic hit that change, um, you know, we switched to scrubs quickly and I, and, and, but I'd get home and drop them off, you know, as quickly as I could and, and shower every night and things like that. And, and you're just way more thorough cause you don't, it, nothing would pain me more than giving it to a family member. Sure. Um, and, and I know every other healthcare worker would say the same. And so I think that's where it's really exhausting. Um, plus the hours have certainly increased, uh, for everyone. And, uh, I mean, I vacation time, my vacation time is thankfully building. Um, <laughs> but usually that's, you know, the big thing that gets you through, uh, those tough weeks and tough stretches of call and things like that. Um, but now it's, it's non-existent for the time being. And so yeah. that's really where it's tiring. Sure. Yeah. I mean, doctor, there's benefits to being a doctor and putting all those years of, of time, right. Yeah. Compensation and, and, and yeah. benefits, but like right now yeah. it's not, it's not even anywhere in your purview, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and I mean, really just from a mental standpoint, you know, everybody finds their ways that they fight burnout and, and remain, you know, mentally healthy. And, and for me, it's traveling, being outdoors. And I've, I can still do that. You know, I've taken way more advantage of state parks in Minnesota and South Dakota in the last year than I ever have before, which has been great. Um, but, but, you know, uh, not seeing friends and family. I mean, I haven't seen my grandma since last Christmas and I won't see her this Christmas there's lots of stories like that. Um, and so just the toll of that, um, wears on you, but I will say this week is the most optimistic I've felt because of the vaccine data and the hope that gives me. So I think we feel like we're starting to turn a corner, but we all know that corner is not going to be here next week. It's, it's going to be well into 2021 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Ben, talk about, you mentioned burnout. So I'm sure you have colleagues, uh, you know, yeah. nurses, doctors, maybe some people who have even quit and, and walked away. What is, what is the toll yeah. going to look like in 2021 on, on physician burnout? So I think out of all the things that concern me with the healthcare workforce, besides just physical safety is this issue. And I think that's where, as a physician, you know, I, I think we each have our skill sets uh, compared to a, a PA or a nurse practitioner or a nurse or administrator. I mean, they all have their unique roles and benefits. 
but I feel like physicians really are trained in a way to be leaders, you know, on the floor and amongst your care teams. And this is the area I've tried to sort of fight for my, my team and the nurses and even the, the staff members I'm not working with, because I have such a high concern right now for burnout. Not only are healthcare workers facing backlash, you know, in the media and the public and with politics, um, but just the demand of, you know, having to work overtime shifts, not being able to see family, you know, having this fear every day that I could contract COVID from a patient. Um, we have seen people leave the industry already, and I'm afraid afterwards, too, there could be a mass exodus. And so Vera, thankfully, has a tremendous focus on mental health for not only patients, but their staff, too. And so it's been a privilege to sort of brainstorm with them, what can we do to help fight that? And so one way I think is really helpful has just been increasing communication. Health systems are giant these days. And, you know, it's not just Sioux Falls either. They have Minnesota, Nebraska, Iowa, and, sure. and all these other places they're trying to cover. And so I, I think it's really important to make sure communication is clear from the top to the bottom to know what's going on. And so these daily meetings, emails, things like that, as annoying as they can get sometimes, I, I think that's important. And I've also really uh, vouched for being able to hear, you know, somebody in rural Iowa, you know, uh, on the front lines there, you know, what their concerns are too, because if you don't hear them, people are going to take these frustrations home. Uh, and uh, the other um, nice thing is that we've found a mental health hotline as well. Two one one is the state uh, suicide hotline, um, but they actually, through the Department of Health, have a, a separate component of that now for health workers specifically. And I think those things are tremendous um, because because yeah, you're going to be sitting at home yeah. after a yeah. shift and long day, and and who do you talk to at two in the morning when you can't sleep? And yeah, and the last thing I want is is uh, that to weigh down on our workers. So I, I think we're paying attention to it, but we still have a ways to go. Yeah, and I'm not sure we fully know the ramifications, right? Like right. down the road, right. the second second order magnitudes right. there. Um, yeah, it's great to hear that they're making that investment and, and thinking about it. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's great. And I think that point you mentioned about listening to your people and getting those unique perspectives, you know, in Iowa rural, like that's a great leadership lesson there, right? To get down and, and listen and, yeah. and and hear from your folks. So. Uh, you mentioned also a point, you know, one thing that our worlds are so different at Lemonly, we could, you know, we're busy right now, we're, we're running, we're working remotely, everyone's getting their stuff mm -hmm. done. But we have the ability, if we want to, to try to, you know, talk to clients and say, hey, we're just going to take the week off, we're going to hit yeah. pause, we're going to rest, <laughs> kind of recover. Uh, medicine, healthcare doesn't work that way. So yeah. talk about that angle. I'm curious of, you know, there's also this COVID impact of like folks who maybe aren't coming in for their normal screenings or, you know, people are still getting cancer. Like what, what's the yeah. impact of that uh, in healthcare and medicine? Absolutely. So I, I think uh, there's two components to answering that question. So the first is the impact of people not coming in. Uh, I think it was probably mm, a month into the pandemic. So like April, I was working in the emergency department in Rochester and a patient came in and their blood sugar was extremely high and they were diabetic. And I said, when's the last time you took your insulin? And they said, Oh, I, I stopped it a few weeks ago because I ran out, but I didn't think I was supposed to leave my house to go to the pharmacy even. And, uh, it was a, a person who was an immigrant. And so, um, totally can see how they misconstrued, you know, um, orders and things like that. And which were pretty um, and I, mixed messages yes, to begin with. Yes. 
Yes. And, and Minnesota did everything well, you know, at that time I, I thought and, and communicated extremely well, but I see how it was misunderstood. And so that was my first example of, okay, here, we're going to have major problems from a health standpoint. Um, and so, yes, right away, we saw that in healthcare, you know, our visits declined significantly. We were stopping surgeries and, and seeing complications from that. And so I think healthcare systems have adapted very well. And, and, you know, that's the other tough thing. You want people to know how severe this is. You know, we're flying patients out of state, our hospitals full, et cetera. But that doesn't mean, you know, if you're having chest pain, don't, <laughs> don't see someone. Um, and so it's a delicate balance. And it's been really interesting to work with marketing and PR and things like that, too, um, because they all play a crucial role in keeping people safe. Um, but it is a very fine line we're walking the other piece of that that you asked about was just uh, sort of the burnout aspect from a physician, you know, carrying that around with you. A lot of that was there before the pandemic, you know, where you go home and this is all on your mind and it's weighing yeah. on you. Um, and I think that's true in a lot of industries. You know, you say, you know, you guys can get away for a week and shut down. Um, you know, even on my off days, patients are still calling in, messaging in, which is great. And that's what they need to do. And uh, people can cover for me, but even when I'm on vacation, your mind is still always thinking about so-and-so CT scan or so-and-so surgery. And, um, and that's where I feel like I'm probably just greener and need to learn that with experience. Um, but there's also not a great book on that or not a great, you know, how-to guide on that necessarily. And so it's something I think every industry needs to figure out over time with balance and uh, technology and things like that. And it, I think it's getting harder in this day and age to do that too. Yeah, I think you're right about that. I think both technology where we bring work home with us on our phones, right? We have this, yeah. this supercomputer in our pockets. Um, and then I do think there's an age component that I've learned to with uh, kids were a huge help for me. They have sort of a, yeah. for, a forced separation when you come home because they don't care what's going on at work. They want your attention, yeah. right? You got to kind of flip yeah. that switch. So um, interesting stuff. Okay. So we were talking before I think one of the missed opportunities, in my opinion, from a leadership standpoint was clear messaging early on and like, what can yeah. we all do? I do think like when crisis happens in our country, usually Americans will unite and, and want to help their, their yeah. neighbor, right? And that's a South Dakota thing, which I think has been tough politically, right. why, why we've been so divided. But um, there wasn't sort of a marching order or objective on how we can help. Like if people, if we would have said like, let's all get together and, and make masks or make sure everybody has a mask or, or distribute one to your neighbors or. Um, so I guess where I'm headed with this question is like, there wasn't, what can, what can a person do today? I know it's December and I think mm -hmm. we think we're, we're just waiting to get to the end, but as you said, mm -hmm. we're not there yet. Like if someone's yeah. listening to this podcast and they can help you and your team on a day-to-day -day basis in living our lives, you know, what, what, what would that be? Absolutely. And so this is where I'm optimistic because there's actually some really easy tools. Um, and and I, I think everybody can do take part in them and take advantage of them. And, and the other thing I'll say before I dive into that is in March, there was a lot we didn't know. And sure. so while there were studies and things at the time that questioned masks and things like that, um, things have really changed. We've learned so much um, and I'm very confident in Dr. Fauci and, and lots of other leaders at the local and state and national levels. Um, and so, yes, the, the, the three tools that we really know that work well are first masks. Um, we, we know now, like without a doubt, that they're helpful, not only for protecting yourself, but mainly protecting others around you. And, uh, you know, I tell people, 
um, I've seen COVID present in lots of different ways. You know, some people come in, they look awful. Their, their vital signs are off. They look really ill and others have a mild cold at most right away. And so certainly even if you're asymptomatic, you need to know that you could be already carrying it, spreading it, things like that. And so that's where the masking part is key and they should be do work well, even cloth masks with filters. Um, it does not need to be an N95. Um, yep. I mean, it's a small tool that's effective. The second is obviously distancing. And so I, this is where I worry about the holidays. I absolutely don't want anyone to spend the holidays alone or, 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 you know, not be able to see relatives and loved ones, but we do need to be very smart about it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, when I get patients, especially who say like, I went to a wedding this weekend and, and things like that, it's, it's really tough, um, to know that there were these large gatherings going on that, that almost, um, are unassuredly spreading this forward. And so that's the second piece. And then the third is the vaccine. Obviously this has been a big week for that. Um, honestly, I've never seen vaccine data that's this given me this much optimism, um, not only the safety data, but really the efficacy of it. There are groups we don't know about yet, specifically young children. I don't know when or if we'll know, uh, robust guidelines on that soon. Um, but at least for the elderly and middle-aged and things like that, um, I mean, it's, we're talking 90 something percent effective. Like that's, that's very rare. And also just safety wise, um, the various studies coming out, it's really uh, uh, tremendous data that makes me optimistic. And I think, I, I really think the general public, hopefully in 2021 can take advantage of that. It will be a two-part series and there's going to be a lot of uh logistical things to figure out with it, but I know Vera and, and the state and things like that are already on top of it. And so I really think if we keep doing those three things, you know, we really can get through this well. And I wish, I wish we'd have known what we know now right off the bat and had clear messaging off the bat. Um, but for everybody listening, you know, we're still fighting this together and, and, yep. uh, and now we know these tools now and, and they're readily accessible or will be hopefully soon. How does that, that third one, how does that make you feel as a physician? You, you'll be one of the first, I mean, yeah. it doesn't, your, your hours will still be long. The job will still be stressful, but is yeah. there a weight lifted off your shoulders that you would go to work knowing you have that vaccine? Yeah, I, th- I think there will be. I mean, I think with the data coming out, I know it's not going to be instantaneous. You know, I get the vaccine, I take my mask off, I go sure. eat at a restaurant. <laughs> I know yep. it's not going to be that. Um, but at the same time, I think, you know, the personal fear I have every day of, you know, if I contract it, am I going to be one of the the ones that end up hospitalized or a fatality or something like that? I think there'll be some alleviation in my mind, but at the same time, I only, I know two vaccines only work best when, you know, the majority of people are getting them and taking advantage of them for a herd, uh, response. And so I don't think any of us are truly going to feel that relief until we get to that point with the general public taking a quick break from our conversation with Dr. Ben to let you know that I have other content around the subject of leadership, something I'm very passionate about. You can find me talking about those topics on Twitter, on Instagram, LinkedIn, at John T. Meyer is my handle. Go search me there. And then I do a weekly newsletter around the topic of leadership. And you can find that at j-t-m.com just my initials there. So sign up if you want to get more of my content around leadership, share insights, my thoughts on mindset and leadership tactics and frameworks, great leadership quotes. And if I can help you in any way, I'd love to just reach out, shoot me a tweet, and I'd love to start a conversation. All right, back to the show with Ben. Let's go to the the future of medicine because uh, yeah. I don't know your I don't know your age, but I know you're brand new as a physician <laughs> in your career. So like you got uh, a long career ahead of you. Um, 
you know, pandemic or not, it, medicine was already changing and healthcare was yeah. definitely evolving. So I want to hear your take. So what is, what does this do? What is 20, how does 2020 change what healthcare looks like in the future? So I think in a lot of ways, 2020 advanced uh, medicine, I would say at least a decade ahead in some regards. Wow. I remember that initial Friday, uh, you know, when things really started shutting down in March, I left clinic in at Mayo and I came back on Monday and like every computer had a webcam, a microphone, like throughout the entire clinic. Um, <laughs> this is classic Mayo. They just do things incredibly well overnight. <laughs> and I, I was, I had hardly any virtual visits ever before that. And all of a sudden, like my schedule was primarily virtual visits, telemedicine, um, and especially there, you know, most of my family medicine patients, of course, were local, but I was also seeing patients at times from other countries. Okay. Um, and so, so I mean, instantaneous uh, overnight, you know, we, there were robust plans for this telemedicine rollout, but I think they were probably years down the line. And all of a sudden it was overnight uh, that had changed. And so I think that's the biggest thing. And I, the part that, of that that really excites me is, especially for mental health um, providers, huge shortage everywhere. Avera has a tremendous mental health uh, facility and group. Um, but, but even in South Dakota, we still have a major shortage of that. Okay. And so I'm actually seeing a lot of patients able to find resources for that now that they couldn't find six months ago because the mental health community has really taken advantage of telemedicine. The other things too are just uh, advancements in, in electronic medical records. Um, they're very frustrating. It's a touchy subject for most physicians. Um, but I do think actually patients are using things more now at home in terms of setting messages, doing virtual visits, things like that through there. And I think it's going to lead to a lot more uh, just sort of interconnectedness between rural and, and more urban areas and diverse areas and things like that. Uh, I hope it's something maybe in South Dakota, like our tribal community can take advantage of yeah. uh, and areas like that. So I'm, I'm optimistic. You know, I think there's a lot of good things we can actually take from this awful year. Uh, and that's, I think that's one of the, the big ones uh, moving forward for sure. Do you think that having been a person who was inspired to be in medicine and then of course gone through school where you've had you know, friends and colleagues, does this type of uh, inflection point in history, does it make more people you think want to be in medicine and be motivated <laughs> to help and serve or is it the opposite? That's one thing I wonder about. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. I mean, it's sort of like, you know, there's those classes in college where they say they're weeding out, you know, sure. students or whatever. Is this that? I don't know. It could be. Um, I, I do think it's these tough times, these tough days that really make you dig deep and ask you why you're doing what you want to do. And, you know, I think if it's something superficial, like I am just in this for the money or I'm just in this for the, the you know, fame or whatever it is, um, I don't think those things get you through tough times, no matter what your job is. And so I, I think this has really made a lot of people question for the better, you know, what's my purpose? Uh, what am I waking up to, to show up to do every day, whether it's at work or at home or, or anywhere else? And so I think it's good. Like, I, I think tough questions like that need to be asked by other, us all, whether we're in a pandemic, whether we're happy with mm -hmm. our jobs, whether we're unhappy. Um, I think those questions are really important to reevaluate. I, I listened to Meriton Haken's uh, podcast with you, and, you know, that was really why he transition from his successful business to being a mayor. Yep. And so I, I think that is a lesson maybe we're all learning even to a greater degree now, which I, I think is a good thing. Yeah. We've had to reevaluate or look with a fresh set of eyes on everything in our life, right? Yeah. Because of this experience and, and really understand yeah. the why that we do something. Absolutely. How has it been? Um, 
obviously you, you have to go to a lot of school, a lot of time and money investment to become a doctor. So yeah. you've studied science, you understand the way the body works. Talk about the sort of, we won't spend too much time on it, but the controversial sure. aspect, right? Yeah. One of the reasons why I wanted you on is I've been, I've really enjoyed following you. You, you on Twitter. You haven't been afraid to make your opinions uh, mm-hmm. stated and, and bolded and, and, and tweeted. Um, talk about how people are essentially questioning or debating or even undermining you know, what the science and medical community are saying. How, how difficult is that? I think that could be the most disheartening thing for a lot of people in healthcare is just the, the backlash or disrespect we've felt. You know, there's just been comments made even by our top political figures, you know, that just really insult physicians and, and, and are hurtful. And I, I think that caught a lot of us off guard um, for better, or for worse. And, and, and was just something probably at least I hadn't felt before this year. And so I think it made us reevaluate, okay, there's still a lot of uh, people out there who don't, you know, uh, fully understand or, or um, agree with medicine. And I, and I don't, I'm not saying people have to agree unknowingly. I like it when my patients come in, you know, having Ask researched questions. things. Sure. I very much caution them on what websites they're reading things <laughs> from. <laughs> um, but I always love it when my patient, you know, has done their own research and, and has, has thought about this and, and comes to me with new ideas. And the same holds true for, for science. I don't want anyone to ever just accept advice blindly. Like I want you to question and, and think through it thoroughly. Uh, and so that's where I see Twitter as a good outlet. You know, I think uh, social media, there's a lot of pros and a lot of cons to it, of course. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think in healthcare, I think that is a part in the future that could be used powerfully as well. And so I, to me, I see it as an opportunity and a need really as a physician, as a community, local leader and, and beyond to, to really share, okay, every day this, this news article is coming out. Here's what's good about it. Here's what's wrong about it. Here's what's actually happening. I mean, there's a tremendous hunger for truth right now in all aspects. And so if I can, can play a role in, in giving that and restore this relationship between the public and medicine, I, I think that's the, in the best interest of the health of, of everyone moving forward. Yeah, I agree. Let's let's push that one more further, uh, but sure. we won't talk so much about um, sure. COVID. So this podcast ultimately is about leadership. Yeah. What's the role of a family doctor? Like, how do you? I don't know if they teach that in medical school, medical school or not. How do you yeah. think of yourself as a leader? Yeah, you know, we don't necessarily have like a specific leadership course or anything like that that I can think of. I think it's mainly through experience and roles. I I have had a lot of positions, you know, at the state level, national level, through different organizations. And so I I have been very uh, fortunate from that regard to get a lot of great mentorship and leadership opportunities. But I think the important thing for physicians is is this. You can can be a great doctor in the OR, in the clinic, in the hospital, um, and go home and, and, you know, uh, live a quiet life. And there is nothing wrong with that. But I also think public health... um, what what we're seeing now is what's happening in the community is totally what's affecting our hospital is totally what's affecting our death rate, our, our, our burden of illness. And so that's where I, I just feel this tremendous responsibility for the benefit of all patients, not just mine and all people to, to uh, advocate on a, whether it's a local level, state level, whether it's in a political setting or a community setting, um, to advocate for public health and specifically the pandemic right now. But, but we've done that before in lots of other ways, whether it's with, you know, insurance issues, coverage issues, whether it's with, you know, uh, disparities in care. You know, I have, I grew up near a reservation, so I have a tremendous passion for that. And I've had 
had been able to do some stuff with that in the past. And so to me, I think really, especially being a family doctor, you know, you're, you're seeing people and, and they're individuals, but what happens in their home, what happens in their workplace, what happens in their community totally influences their health. Yep. And so, so I think if you really want to be the best, I, I really do see this, this calling or whatever to go above and beyond that and influence that in a greater setting. And that ties back to my hometown physician. I mean, that's what he did. Cool. And I think that's why he was such a great doctor. Well, and there's this weird, you know, it's not your job to be in sales and marketing as a family doc, right. but there is sort right. of this like lighthouse effect where uh, someone yeah. sees that person in the community. They see, they know what they stand yeah. for. They take a stance and then that attracts people to them. Like, I want that person to be my doctor or I want to go to that system or I want to, you know, be on, uh, even work for them if it's a nurse or a team member. So. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, and I, I think that too, maybe with, I don't know, I, I see that in other industries too. You know, I know you interviewed coach Stig um, from SDSU mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I, I look at him on the field. He's obviously had great results uh, minus NDSU. <laughs> uh, and, uh, um, but, but I also look at what he's done in the community. I think there's a lot yeah. of things he's done in Brookings and on campus that people are not aware of. And that, you know, makes me respect someone way more when I know they're not just the way they are in front of the cameras, um, but they're that way in their home life, in their their workplace and, and everywhere else. Um, and so I, I think that flows into every other industry, but especially a physician. I mean, because then your, your health is at stake, your own well-being, um, your own livelihood is at stake. And so you really want to know it's someone you can trust and, and walks the walk and yeah. As well as talks to talk. Yeah. Modeling that, you know, going out to the parks, going for a yeah. hike, like being in good fitness, yes. mental, physical. Yes. Absolutely. For sure. Yes. That's a great point, Ben. Um, let's finish then. We'll do a little rapid fire just to get to know you a little sure. bit more. Um, sure. We can stop talking about COVID since we talk about that all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know if you're, maybe now you're finally at the point where you can read for fun and not for homework, but uh, if you're a reader or not, what's a book you've read recently that you recommend to somebody? This may sound boring to people. I really love autobiographies or biographies. And so uh, this summer when I had time off and I just finished, it was uh, a biography on Churchill. Yeah. And so I don't know why I have this weird infatuation with London. I just watched the Queen's newest season too. Um, but I think there's a lot to take away from those. You know, there's things about the monarchy I don't care for. But those, I mean, if you think about everything she has been through and everything Churchill went through with her too, um, especially their upbringings, they each had very unique upbringings and how it shaped them. I, I have learned so much from biographies. So that, that is, a uh, my recommendation for everybody out there. If they want to watch TV, then the queen. <laughs> I'm sure there's several Churchill ones. What was the one that you liked or recommended? Um, I knew you were going to ask me that and I don't remember now okay. because it's been so long. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah. No it, was an, it was an audio, it was an audio book. Uh, yeah. Cool. Um, so I'm asking everybody this, but I think it's absolutely appropriate for you. How do, 2020 has been stressful. How do you, maybe you already referenced it earlier, but how do you unplug? Yeah. How do you de-stress? Yeah. So the biggest thing for me is just getting outside. Um, and I had always liked the outdoors, but really the last year has shown me just how much more mentally cleansing that is. You know, I went to Glacier National Park this summer, um, which I must say the national parks, not only were they a treasure before this, but during the pandemic, that was the only safe place I felt I could get away to that was not my backyard. (laughs) Um, And so, yes, those types of things are the main thing for me. Um, I do like to read a lot too, and I'm always learning and things like that. And then um, not so much this year, but hopefully next year, uh, my family's big SDSU fans and those types of games and the community there is always great too. 
Um, so I, I did miss that on some of the nicer fall Saturdays um, this year, but I, I can wait till next year for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you felt being away in Minnesota, maybe you missed out. You were looking forward to getting that back. And then, of course, Absolutely. this happened. Absolutely. But I'll be patient. I know it's for the good of everyone. Yeah, yeah, it'll come back. We'll get to watch the Jacks again. Um, I asked you this just as a prep before, and I think maybe you Mm -hmm. were like, oh, geez. Uh, And that's why we asked this question at Lemonly. What's your superpower? What's the one thing you do better than anyone else? I don't want to sound like prideful, um, but I'm pretty good at the violin. I know, I know. I'm pretty good at the violin. Um, Oh, I didn't think that was going to be the answer. I know, I know. And I, you know, I, I could say, you know, I'm, I'm good at thinking quickly on my feet and things like that. Uh, and I, I am, I have good wit sometimes too, but I'm proud of like the violin because, because it, I came from a small town. It's kind of, it's a long story about how I learned how to play it. And then whether people know it or not, South Dakota has a fiddle contest. And so when I was a teenager, I started playing fiddle and I, I think I won it three times. Um, but I, I have not done it very much lately, but I, I do love doing it still and playing for weddings and churches and things like that still. So, so that'd be my violin superpower. Up, at, up at state. Did you, were you in the orchestra? Um, no, I, so I was, I really liked playing French horn and that's what I did in high school. So I, I did that instead of SDC where we got to march in the Rose parade and, and mm-hmm. all of those things. So I was with the pride, of course. <laughs> so you're, you got some musical talent in you, huh? I do. I like it. <laughs> um, that's great. That was awesome. That wasn't what I was expecting. Um, and let's go to mentors. So who are leaders or mentors that have shaped you? We've referenced a couple today, but whether yeah. you know them or you've read about them, tell me a few. Yeah. So uh, my residency program director at Mayo Clinic was uh, Bob Bonacci, Dr. Bob Bonacci. He uh, has been here really for the last 20 years, probably just a visionary guy. Um, you know, I actually wasn't thinking I'd end up at Mayo, um, for multiple reasons. And, and I met him in about five minutes in, I knew that's exactly who I wanted to, to learn from and, and have above me and to have my back and things like that. And we, st- we're, we're really good friends now, even though I'm not there anymore. And, uh, he just wasn't afraid to, to try new things. Uh, and just one of those people where he could tell you, you know, something in a minute in you were already bought in and sold. Mm-hmm. Um, but mainly because he was a good person and just you trusted him, you know, you knew he cared about you. Um, and not only was he a great physician and, and brilliant and things like that, it was more, more so the other, uh, other dynamics from that as well. And then the other person I thought about uh, too was when I was at SDSU, I actually took a leadership class um, my last semester there with Tim Nichols, who's hmm. not there anymore, but he and his wife, Lori, both are professors, tremendous leaders, um, um, at the collegiate level. Um, she's out at Black Hill State, I believe. And I think he's out in Montana at the university, one of the universities there. But just someone too, who was um, passionate, you know, always made you feel in a crowd like you mattered um, and just was all about servant leadership. And you just saw that with him. Um, Always positive, always loving, always caring, um, but smart and had all these other great things going for him, but never put himself above above anyone else. And so uh, I really uh, give a lot of credit to those two. And I think, I think if you asked a lot of SDSU alums who at least met him at some point, I think yeah. his name would come out of their mouth too. Interesting. That's great. Yeah. And certainly you talked about your uh, family doc growing up too. Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And, and like I said, he's still, uh, still going strong and really uh, is tremendous. And, you know, I've got, I've had all these <laughs> media requests from, you know, New York times and CNN and everywhere else the last month. 
And I, I actually pushed a lot of them to another physician who I've not met, um, but Tom Dean in Washington Springs. If, if uh, for those listening, I would highly recommend, you know, the Washington Post article and other things on him. Um, Cause he really has been a staple in that community for as long as I've been alive. And even though I've never met him, I know his impact and his, his compassion yet his boldness. Uh, he lost both of his parents actually during this pandemic. Um, and is, is really trying to carry that town on his back, um, you know, really at the latter stages of his career, but is, is still uh, a unique talent. And so I, I, I think people just don't realize the level of talent and, and unspoken heroes we have, you know, in South Dakota and beyond, uh, not just in the healthcare community, but there's other areas that have truly shined uh, during this time as well. No, I think you're so right, Ben. I mean, I think... <laughs> We under doctors have always been heroes, certainly, and leaders. Yeah, but this yeah. year, I mean, they're really been you know they they are superheroes this year in 2020. We've needed them more, and, and the nurses and the frontline folks, like everybody yeah. in that whole system, yeah. to make that thing go. So absolutely. Well, that's a perfect place to end. Thank you for your leadership, uh, your hard work, yeah. your service uh, for being. Uh, I'm excited to watch your career grow and and to see your involvement here in the community of Sioux Falls. So, thanks for taking some time today, Ben. Yeah, it's great to join them. Happy to be back in South Dakota again. All right, you take care, man. All right, thank you. All right, so that is episode 28 of the Lead More podcast. Thank you to Dr. Ben for his time, for coming on and sharing his stories and his perspectives. But also I just want to say thank you to all the doctors, all the nurses, the the cafeteria, the frontline workers, the administration folks. There's so many people who have just had such unbearable long days, long hours, long weeks, long months. It's just been a long year for so many people in the healthcare world. And I am eternally grateful and, and we're so thankful for all their hard work. Truly, there's just leaders up and down in that world right now. So it was great to hear just one person's perspective with Dr. Ben, but I know there's so many others that I wanted to say thank you. Remember, you can catch all Lead More podcasts at leadmorepodcast.com. You can listen and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And we drop new episodes every Thursday of the Lead More podcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll see you next time.